Thanks to Chris and the worship team. When you're the designated hitter, as somebody dubbed me this morning, um, you get to pick songs uh, that you like. And that's one of my all-time favorites. So if you have your Bible or New Testament, would you turn in the ancient words, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. This morning we want to focus our attention on just a few verses, beginning at verse 38. Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. The Lord answered and said to, Martha, said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. We, the church, owe a debt of gratitude to Dr. Luke, the leading of the Holy Spirit. He penned two volumes that are part of our New Testament, the gospel that bears his name, describes for us the events of Jesus during his time on this earth. The book of Acts describes the birth and early life of the church. Of course, the passage we read is from the gospel. And it's characteristic of Luke's writing. More than any other gospel writer, he writes of his relationship with his disciples, his relationship with his friends, There are human interest stories in the Gospel of Luke, and this is one of them. This is a straightforward story. (laughs) No problems we have to deal with, no textual issues that we have to sort out. This is just a simple lesson that's followed by a simple truth. Before we unpack this passage this morning, will you bow with me as we commit our time to the Lord in prayer? Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to worship. We want to remember our elders this morning as they are wrapping up their annual pray and plan and heading back to Lubbock. We pray that it's been profitable for the direction and vision of our church. Thank you for the songs that we have sung that focus our attention on you and Thank you for your word. Thank you for this short passage and for the message that it contains. I pray your blessing on our time of study. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. For two and a half years, Jesus has been traveling from city to city, village to village, ministering. The divine clock is winding down as he travels towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. As he was traveling, the text tells us he entered a city. The NIV has it correct. It says Jesus and his disciples came into a city, a village that's not named. 
we know that it's the village of Bethany by who is mentioned, Mary and Martha. Bethany was a suburb of Jerusalem just about two miles away. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who is not mentioned in this text, have a home there. It's clear that this is a family that's devoted to Jesus. Jesus knows that this is a place where he can come and find rest and refreshment and friendship. Now many doors were closing, but not this one. I think that Martha may have been a widow. Clearly, she is the head of the house, the hostess of the house, if you will. So she hears that Jesus and his disciples are coming, and she invites them to her home. I don't know about this for sure, but I suspect that if you invite the preacher to your house on a Sunday or during the week, that can be a kind of a traumatic experience for you. And just imagine Martha, she's got 13 preachers in her front room. Barbara and I have been married now for a half century and some change. And one of the things that amazed me over the years was how she prepared meals for our family of six. Hot food at one time, cold food at one time, all the food at the same time. There were times when we would have families over, friends of ours, and it would be our family plus however many that involved. Hot food at one time, cold food at another time, everything showing up at the right time. When I retired from the Air Force, we were involved in a ministry to servicemen and women with Cadence International in Panama and in California. It was a ministry that we conducted out of our home. It was evangelism, discipleship. We had Bible studies and activities. It was a place for service people to come and relax in a home-away-from-home atmosphere. That included preparing of meals. So Barbara fixed meals for our family, plus servicemen five or ten, two or three times a week. That number would balloon on Friday evenings when we had our special activity and times like Thanksgiving to 20, 30, 40 people. Now, she enlisted our help from time to time as she prepared meals. The servicemen and women were always happy to serve. It was Barbara's plan and her hand that guided the cold food at one time, the hot food at another time, and everything at the same time. So having watched Barbara and this minor miracle that I saw happen, uh, I have an understanding of what Martha was going through. She's got 13 preachers in her front room, and she wants to do the best she can for them in the preparation of this meal. I believe that Martha and Mary both began the process. But sometime in that process, Mary left Martha and went into the front room and sat down at Jesus' feet to learn from him. Didn't bother Martha at first until she turned around and didn't see Mary, went into the front room and saw her sitting at Jesus' feet. Just a word about that, a little bunny trail, a little parenthesis here, if you will. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. That's a significant thing in the first century culture for a woman to be a learner. It, it, It didn't happen. It wasn't the norm 
But Jesus breaks the ministry mold of first century Judaism. Mary's posture is that of a learner, a disciple. She was listening intently to Jesus, the rabbi. In fact, the grammar indicates that she took it upon herself to find a place at the feet of Jesus. Now, Also, if you, if you follow Mary's life through the Gospels, there are a number of occasions that we find her with Jesus always at his feet. As a learner, as a worshiper, as a servant. Ken Gear, in his book, Intimate Moments with the Savior, paints a picture of these two women. He writes, Martha, so eager to serve, energetic, first to roll up her sleeves and pitch in to help, last to leave until every dish is clean and put away, up early, first at the market, haggles to get the best prices, to the point sometimes of even being abrupt. The yolks of the eggs she serves for breakfast are never broken. The fruit she sets out in the wooden bowl on the table is always fresh and sweet. Dinner was never overcooked. The perfect hostess. And Mary? Well, she's up about 30 minutes later. Sometimes she goes with her sister to the market, but more often than not, doesn't. Haggling bothers her. Likes to cook, but doesn't like to clean up the mess. Perceptive. Ask few but thoughtful questions. Is a good listener, sensitive and calm. That's an interesting perspective that he has. But one thing is clear. These are two ladies with two different personalities and approaches to life. Martha's a typical type A. Roll up your sleeves and get to work. Or Mary, not so much. And right now, Martha is not happy with her sister Mary. We see that in verse 40, don't we? Martha is frustrated. The sense of that word distracted is to be pulled away, to be dragged away. The implication is that Martha desperately wanted to be at the feet of Jesus, but in all of her preparation, she was distracted. (laughs) You can just imagine her smoldering, can't you? She focused, if that look could kill, gaze at Mary. You could hear her sighing and rattling the pans in the kitchen. Finally, she'd had enough. Storming into the living room, she said to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And in the original text, the answer to that question that Martha posed, she thinks will be, yeah. Yeah, I applaud you for what you're doing, and your sister's lazy. She needs to get to work, but that's not what happens, is it? Martha's a practical, straightforward person. She comes to the Lord and said, Look, Jesus, Mary is a flake, and you're part of the problem. (laughs) Tell her to get her sweet self out of the kitchen and help me. That's not what happened. Do you know what bothers me most about this story? It's not the story. What bothers me is me. Because I realize that if I read this story correctly, I'm supposed to come down on the side of Mary. But as I've read this story over the years and thought about it, I don't. I come down on the side of Martha. Martha is my kind of person. 
She is practical. She's down to earth. Keep your finger here in the Gospel of Luke and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. A a familiar passage in which uh, Jesus is at one place and Mary and Martha and Lazarus are at another and Lazarus is sick and Mary and Martha send for Jesus to come and to, to, to deal with their brother Lazarus, but Jesus doesn't come and Lazarus dies. And then there's that interaction between Martha and Jesus and that great I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe this? And she says, I do. And then Jesus standing before that grave weeps, which is astounding to me. Knowing that he's about to raise Lazarus, he weeps. And then look at verse 38. So Jesus again began deeply moved within, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone was laying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. What does Martha say? Lord, that's not such a good idea. By this time he's going to stink. Not very religious, not very pious, really practical. And that's the kind of woman that Martha was. She knew that when you had 13 men who had been traveling all day coming to your house, they needed a meal. And she was practical enough to know that that meal was not going to prepare itself. She knew that she was going to feed 13 preachers that are in her front room. She needed all hands on deck. And you know what happens? At this point of the story, preacher types like me pummel Martha from their pulpits and her busyness and her being distracted. When I look at devotional commentaries of this passage, I come away disappointed because they don't give me the understanding of of the passage that I I think we need. Martha is painted as a classic example of someone with misplaced priorities. Her sister is praised as wise and spiritually discerning and someone we should imitate. There is a way in which Martha is cast as a bad person. They criticize her for being too busy, as if she could have prayed that meal into existence. And, of course, Mary becomes the super saint. Sitting there at Jesus' feet, we're told uh, the contemplative life is what Jesus wants. The the folks who have their devotions all day and sing hymns and quote poetry and have lovely thoughts are what please God. And I don't buy that. I, I don't believe that we can get along in the church without the Marthas and the Martins who roll up their sleeves and do their job. There's a dinner that needs to be prepared. These are the folks that prepare it. If there's evangelism to be done, these are the folks that do it. There's a toddler's class that needs to be taught. They volunteer. If someone's hurting, they'll be there. If there's work around the church that needs to be done, they'll help. I served as a teaching pastor for five years in California and 15 years here at Melanie Park, and I can assure you the church can't do without Marthas and Martins, people who roll up their sleeves and get involved and work hard. Rudyard Kipling, the poet, 
<laughs> listen to the preachers of his day, and he, he was also dissatisfied with the, with the rap that Martha got. So he wrote a poem that I want to quote just a little bit from. It's entitled, The Sons of Mary, and he writes, The sons of Mary sit at the feet, they hear the word, and see how true the promise runs. They cast the burden on the Lord, and the Lord, he lays the burden on Martha's sons. <laughs> I read this story and I find myself in secret sympathy with Martha. And if you read this story in its context, you, you can't come away thinking that Jesus is chiding her for her work and what she's doing. It's in the context of that story that's just gone before it, the Good Samaritan. To that lawyer who asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus responded, your neighbor is anyone who has a need and whose need you see. To that lawyer who knew the Old Testament law but didn't know who his neighbor was, Jesus says you need to love your neighbor who you see who has a need. If you're going to be a neighbor and love is that Samaritan love, that wounded Jew, you have to get involved with your neighbor means sometimes you have to get down in the ditch and get in the dirt. You can't just sit around and pray for an ambulance. You're going to have to get blood on your hands. You're going to have to pour oil and wine into the wound and pick him up and carry him to a hotel and get him a place to stay and spend the time with him. You don't ever become a good neighbor by sitting around thinking about it, having a time of devotional prayer. Being a neighbor means being involved. That's what Martha was doing. She saw Jesus and those disciples as her neighbor that needed to be loved, and that love would be extended through a meal that would be satisfactory for them. I, I, I think Martha did that all the time. I think she had the gift of hospitality. I believe that if you could go back in time to the village of Bethany and interview the folks in that little village, they'd say, oh, yeah, Martha. Yeah, she's always available. Why, when my baby was ill, she came and helped me with the housework and care for the baby. When my husband was ill and she brought a, a meal, Martha saw Jesus and his disciples and she wanted to do everything she could to make it a memorable meal. What I want you to understand this morning is Jesus is not chiding her for her work. He's not criticizing Martha for preparing food. There's not a hint that she, he was displeased with her service. What is of concern to the Lord is the spirit in which that service was rendered. That's clear in verse 41 and 42. Notice how Jesus responds. Affectionately, he repeats her name, Martha, Martha like a parent chiding a fretful child. Jesus said simply, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about many things. But one thing, and some of the texts say, but a few things are needed or one. What I believe Jesus was saying is in all your preparation, just a few dishes, just one dish would have been enough. Why? Because it would have allowed you to come and to set it my feet, and to learn as Mary did. 
You see, the problem was what started out to be an act of love and service turned into a sullen chore. Martha was stressed by all of her preparation. She was pulled apart in every direction. She was troubled. She was upset. And what's that, what that indicates is she was trying to do too much. We use the term, she was overcommitted. And that was the problem with Martha and the Marthas and the Martins of this world. When she tackled a task, she gave it her all. Martha's a strong person, a doer. She's task-oriented. When she welcomes Jesus and his disciples into her home, she's going to do things right, going to do things well. One person that tagged Martha correctly, she said that Martha had a life motto, it was this. If the thing is worth doing, it's worth doing well. (laughs) You know those kinds of folks, don't you? You may be one. (laughs) A person who gives everything to their particular calling or interest, teaching children or adults, evangelism, caring for those who are in need, protection of the unborn, administration, whatever it is, if you do it, you're going to do it well. Because if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing well. Here is a woman who invited folks for dinner. But she could not settle for a sandwich or a salad and some fruit. No, it had to be a seven, eight course meal. A leg of lamb, potatoes, peas and carrots, a relish tray, bagels, dessert. Because if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing well. Jesus responds to Martha of a One dish would have been enough. What Jesus is saying to Martha and to all of you type A personalities this morning whose life motto is, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing well, is this. If a thing is worth doing, it may be worth doing simply. If a thing is worth doing, it may be worth doing simply. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating mediocrity here. There are times for lavish meals and generous gifts and extra effort. We need to take our responsibilities as believers in a local church seriously. But there are times in your life when you have to say no. How do you know when you're serving too many dishes in your life? The answer to that differs with you as it would differ with me. You cannot measure it by the number of courses that are being served. You can only measure it in the spirit with which the service is rendered. When you are anxious and troubled, when you are torn apart and irritable by what you are doing, at that moment, you are living an overcommitted life. And there are two things that happen to a person like that as as a result of that kind of activity, that kind of attitude, that kind of spirit. We find them in this text, don't we? The first is that you may harm your relationship with someone. 
a friend, another believer. Can you imagine what it was like? I'm interested in the way Martha handled the problem. She stormed into the living room and instead of going up to Mary and tapping her on the shoulder and whispering in her ear and inviting her to come and help, no. It was a grandstand play. She went to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you know? And doesn't even use her sister's name. I think folks are right when they say that Mary was probably a sensitive spirit. Can you imagine what it was like for her to have her sister rebuke her in front of Jesus and the disciples for being lazy? (laughs) Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus and the disciples after the the dust settled and they they ate the meal? (laughs) It would be like going into a home where the husband and wife had an argument in your presence, say, well, let's go eat. <laughs> a little bit of tension there. It's the trouble with anxious people. They say that misery loves company. I don't know about that, but misery does spoil company. People who are uptight and anxious and negative are always spoiling the party. One of the things that happens if you're overcommitted is that you often harm relationship with others. And what was Martha doing? She was comparing what she was doing with what Martha was doing, or Mary was doing. We need to be careful about that. You may have a passion for a ministry in a certain area, and you go at it gung-ho. You're involved, you're engaged, and you look around, and someone else isn't. And somehow you become critical of them. And you condemn them as being lazy. Why don't they get in the, get in the, in the fray? Be careful. Number one, you don't know what's going on in their life. And number two, if you allow that to fester, you will become angry at others who are not doing what you're passionate about, children's ministry, activities outside the church, whatever it might be. That's what happened to Mary. She was overcommitted and she was troubled. The second thing is that you can become angry with Jesus. <laughs> that's what happened. Certainly that's involved in the way she handled this. She's angry at Jesus. Lord, you talk a lot about having compassion and love. Don't you care that I'm out here serving by myself? There's my sister sitting at your feet. Aren't you concerned enough to send her out to help me? Again, I don't want you to misunderstand. Martha loved Jesus deeply. It's obvious that she was devoted to him. In that gospel, she calls him the Messiah of God, the resurrection and life. There's no one she wants in her home more than Jesus. She wanted to start out wanting the very best for him, a lavish meal, a meal that someone would remember. But now in the process of service, her spirit had turned sour relationship with the Lord had gotten on her nerves. She was angry with him. She was upset. That happens when you're overcommitted in ministry. Become angry with God. You've bitten off more than you can chew, and you want someone else to join you in the chewing, but they're not there, and you blame God. 
So that's what happened. Martha was overcommitted and anxious and troubled. And if that ever happens to you, you need to cut back to one dish, a simpler life, because service that is rendered from an anxious spirit is of no use to others and no use to God. But if you cut back, what are you going to cut back to? It's very easy to say, you know, I, I'm overcommitted. I, I'm going to cut back. I, I'm going to take a break. Well, that's fine. But what are you going to do with your extra time? Well, I'm going to watch more TV. I'm going to read a book, go to the movies more, just lounge around. That's not the point of the passage. Jesus is saying, Martha, one dish would have been enough. It would have been better if you'd served one dish and come and sat at my feet and listened as Mary did. That last phrase of verse 42, he commends Mary and her choice, doesn't he? She has chosen the good part or the good portion. It's a figurative reference to the right meal, listening to the word of God. She has chosen a thing that counts in this world. I want you to know that this simple story in the Gospel of Luke is what's found in it's what's known as the travelogue section of Luke. The travelogue section begins in chapter 9, verse about 51 or so, and runs through chapter 19. And in this section, we find Jesus traveling and interacting with his disciples and teaching them and telling stories and interacting with other people. And what you find in this little story is a contrast of two disciples, one who has become upset and angry by her activity and the other sitting and learning at Jesus' feet. Jesus said, Mary has received something that will never be taken away from her. This story, this account has to do with discipleship. So if you're here this morning and you sense that you're overcommitted, you're anxious and you're irritable and you decide you're going to cut back. The lesson that's taught here is you cut back in order to spend more time at the feet of Jesus. The simple lesson of this story is what Jesus wants more than anything else, more than your involvement with children's ministry, more important than social involvement, more important than evangelism, he wants you. Did you notice how the parable of the Good Samaritan unfolded? Look at verse 25 of chapter 10. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And, And the lawyer said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. (laughs) Wishing to justify himself, he asked, Who's my neighbor? That term lawyer indicates that here is a person who understood the Old Testament law but he didn't know what it meant to love his neighbor or who his neighbor was. And who are the bad guys in the story of the Good Samaritan? (laughs) Priests and Levites, people who knew the law, 
but then see a neighbor in need. And the priority is there, isn't it? Sitting at Jesus' feet, loving him, at least to loving one's neighbor. Before we can serve Jesus Christ, we must be served by Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we will find that our service will make us irritable and angry and upset. You know, our lives are they're complicated. I don't care if you're in junior high or high school, college, single in the workplace, married with kids. Life is complicated. So many activities going on, so many things that invade our life, both in the world in which we live outside of the church fellowship, but in the church as well. And I think when life gets complicated, it's helpful to remember that simplicity is always the best option. When life gets complicated, simplicity is always the best option. There's a reason for my sermon title, Keep It Simple. (laughs) It comes from an acronym that you may be familiar with. It's a little bit longer than just Keep It Simple. You know it? Yeah, Keep It Simple, Stupid. I couldn't bring myself to make that part of the title. However, I emailed the title to Byron. Where are you at, Byron? Are you here? Oh, there you are. Okay. And he emailed me back and encouraged me to use the entire acronym. (laughs) He said... Hey, you're retired. What are they going to do to you? Fire you? <laughs> he even offered to buy me a meal, but I still, I still couldn't bring myself to do it. Keep it simple. And the simple lesson that comes from this simple story is about discipleship, isn't it? The key to discipleship is preoccupation with Jesus and his word. When all is said and done, when all is stripped away, Jesus is saying, what you need to do is be preoccupied with me. What does that look like? Again, it will differ with each of us. You know, whenever I preach, which is not too often anymore, but but I, I think about you guys. And there are a lot of faces that came to my mind as I thought about this little wonderful lesson I was writing down. And I thought to myself, wow, that sounds great. Not so easy to pull off. When you're in junior high or high school or college and you have all of the activities that you guys are involved in. I'm old and my life is, our lives as uh, students in junior high and high school is much simpler than you guys. Trust me, I know. I know it's hard. I think some of you guys who are married and have little kids, they're everywhere. They're throwing up and time with Jesus. I don't know how it's going to work for you. I know it's essential. I know it's essential to somehow carve out some time to be preoccupied with him. To sit at Jesus' feet to hear his word, to let him speak to you. 
taking his promises at face value, allowing him to minister to your spirit. You see, that's always the biblical order. Worship before work. Devotion before duty. Love for the Lord comes before love for your neighbor. And if you find yourself overcommitted, you become anxious in your spirit and you become angry and upset, uh, upset at others and upset at the Lord. Jesus wants you to serve him. Don't, don't misunderstand. And one of the reasons I chose this passage is that everything's beginning in school and in the home and in the church and the needs are there. The, the things that you want to be involved in and engaged in are, are, are there. All I'm saying is be careful. Be careful that you don't become overcommitted. And in your overcommitment, become irritable and, and upset with others and at the Lord. We need you to serve here. We need all hands on deck. But in your experience at this point in time, you may have to say no. I've got to spend some time with Jesus. Because if I don't, I'll just be spinning my wheels. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. Above and beyond everything else, he wants us. When he has us, he has our hearts. When he has our hearts, we render to him joyful service. One thing is needful. One dish of service may be all you can render. But Mary has chosen the good part. Not the only part, the good part. The basic part. She's cultivating a relationship with the Lord. And out of that, the expectation is she will serve the Lord. The key to discipleship is being preoccupied with Jesus and his word every day. Now, I know that protocol says I'm supposed to close in prayer, but I'm retired, and what are they going to do, fire me? You guys can pray for this service when you go eat lunch and pray for yourselves and all that kind of stuff. Let's start as we began. Would you guys just get up and greet one another and hug one another and let's, let's go home?